Zahid, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. You are one of the few people that I've spoken with that come from very artsy background. And I'm very curious to talk to you about all arts things and architecture and just the things that you're doing that are completely different from how I function in my life. So I'm like, ah, maybe I need some artistic <laughs> things in me and I don't have that gene. So I'm really curious to, to talk to you about that. But before we get started, tell our audience a little bit about kind of your background, your career story. Of course, I would love to. Um, well, of course, first, thank you for having me on this show. Um, this is very exciting to be on the other side of the table, as we talked about, you know, a few minutes ago, just because we're both podcasters. Um, so I'm originally from Lagos, Nigeria. And um, I first, I knew I wanted to be an architect when I was very little, probably when I was in elementary school. Um, I My whole passion started from when I was very curious about how to make um, people experiencing homelessness, um, how to design their communities better or how to create communities for people experiencing homelessness. Um, so that was my first, I guess, curious gene <laughs> or my first curious streak that got me really thinking into building communities and how that would happen. Um, so after a few conversations with my dad and kind of played around how I don't really want to be in politics, but I just want them to, you know, just have a comfortable, safe space to kind of reintegrate themselves into back into society. Um, that's when I realized, oh, you know, I, I want to be an architect. Um, and I was fortunate enough to actually have an aunt that lived with us at the time, one of my um, dad's cousins that um, was also an architect or is an architect. And um, so I would spend long nights just with her, just, you know, just checking out what she was doing, how she was drawing. And I guess that just kind of carried um, my passion. It kept fueling that passion. And I was, um, it turns out I was very creative. When I look back, I was always like in art class trying to create like the next, um, <laughs> I don't know, the next book, trying to, you know, make beads and things like that. But anyway, fast forward to high school, I focused kind of around like art and geography and um, physics. I actually didn't do a lot of math in high school in terms of like the further math or even the technical drawing, which is very interesting, you know, considering I wanted to be an architect. Um, and then I got into college in Miami and I moved to Miami when I was about 17 years old um, to study architecture. Um, I graduated after a five years master's, uh, a five years accelerated program. I graduated with a master's in architecture and I spent about five years after that um, in Miami, kind of just practicing and really finding out what I loved most about, ar about architecture and where my skill set and my talents will be best used. And I moved, I relocated with my husband to Atlanta about two years ago. So I'm currently based in Atlanta um, and I work as a lead architect at Jacobs Engineering. Um, and I actually run a design podcast as well called Layers of Design, which is also, it kind of also doubles as my design studio where I just kind of fuel my passion of community design and everything, um, you know, architecture through that. Mm. That's very cool. So let, let's let's kind of dissect some of this. So uh, creating communities, this is something you've mentioned since you were a kid. And I'm always so curious, like, how do people figure out, like, this is what I'm really passionate, like as a kid, right? Right. Because I think that's what people struggle with the most. Like, how do I how do I know what I'm passionate about? And, and some people are very fortunate, like yourself, to 
kind of know you knew then that's what you kind of wanted to do and you still feed that passion and you've meant to you you you've managed to maintain it and grow it and and study it over these years so was it a particular uh, experience what was it that really drove you to one architecture and and, and particular i mean it was around helping the homelessness situation mm-hmm. but what was it exactly so i i would say you know, I honestly vividly remember this time I was driving to school while well, my dad was driving me to elementary school. And, you know, every time, just like in every major city, because Lagos is a is one of the largest cities in um, Nigeria and every major, you know, just like in every major city, you always see people experiencing homelessness, unfortunately. Um, and of course, driving by and going to school, that was very, prom- you know, that was very prominent around. Um, so I don't, honestly, I, I don't even exactly know why I just felt like, you know, it would be nice for somebody to do something about this. I, I don't know why I got that, you know, in me, but I just remember that one morning as we were driving to school, I just started the conversation with my dad and I said, it will be nice if someone will be able to, you know, just create something for them to feel more comfortable. So that's honestly where the first conversation started. And my dad was like, well, you know, we, you know, politicians, of course, I'm, I can't remember this conversation exactly how it was, because that was many years ago. Mm-hmm. But the conversation went along the line of us kind of talking about the government's role in taking care of people experiencing homelessness. And I was like, oh, no, but I, I don't want to be a politician. That's that sounds like a lot. So then he asked me, what would you like to do? What, what would you see? And the first thing that came to mind was, well, you know, I think they would need a home. Nobody wants, nobody seems to want people experiencing homelessness around them, right? Because there's this stigma around the people on the streets. And um, I was like, well, you know, they need a home and it'll be nice if they could also have a hospital and even a school and just somewhere for them to go to. They kind of grow. And that's when my dad thought, well, what about exploring architecture? That sounds very similar to architecture. And um, that's that was, that was the first time I even thought about architecture. And I guess just because I had always been very creative, like I always loved making things with my hands. A lot of architects are very drawn to Legos and building bricks, mm-hmm. but I am actually, I wasn't actually a Lego fan. I just, <laughs> I just wasn't, but I really enjoyed, you know, playing with Play-Doh. I enjoyed um, just making arts and crafts. Mm-hmm. So it came kind of, I don't want to say it came natural because over the years, you know, I've, I've learned to actually practice. I have to actively practice design to create the outcome that I want. But um, yeah, that was, that was, I guess, the first spark <laughs> when I was young. That's really, really cool. And so, um, and then you continue studying than that. Um, and so what, I guess, um, inspired, what, what is your inspiration today? Like you, you said, you kind of, you're also still doing that, your passion projects around communities, but what is like, what, what's your creative process? Like what is inspiring you every day to, to, I assume it's very creative. Like I have no idea about architecture, by the way. So I just know that it happens. I know there's beautiful design all around me. I have no idea what that process is like. So talk me through your process of creating. Wow. That is, that is, um, I think that's a loaded question. First, <laughs> I'm very excited, of course, to share more about architecture because I am very passionate about it. And one of my goals this year is really to talk to more people outside the profession about what architects actually do, mm-hmm. um, just because I feel like it would really increase the value of the profession. 
But I say your question is very loaded because I feel like I am still honestly refining that creative process. Mm -hmm. um, and a few days ago, actually, I discovered with my husband, who is also an architect, mm -hmm. um, I discovered that I do a lot of like the early phase of my creation, like kind of in my head. So once I get a prompt or I have an idea, like, let's say, you know, I'm, I have an idea, I want to design a school or I want to design, you know, a room for women, right? I, I think to myself, like, okay, what would that look like? And I start playing around with different ideas in my head, whether it's like, I want to base it off of the color, or I want to base it, base it off of their experience, or I'm trying to tell a story, um, or just how I want people to feel when they, you know, enter that space. So I kind of work through a lot of different scenarios in my head. And I always think, very clearly about the the person I am designing for or the group of people I am designing for and since of course um, I'm really um, gearing my practice into co community oriented design what I know is that one thing is key I have to do a lot of research first so after I kind of internalize or have some sort of vision around the kind of space I want to create or who I want to create this space for I take some steps back because that vision just gets me excited. Like, okay, now I'm, I, this is kind of what I want to do. So I take a few steps back and I go and I just start doing research. I, you know, I would have conversations with people um, that, that is with a certain use group, or I, um, you know, I just go on Google and find books or find articles to really dive into who the people are, right. Mm -hmm. Or what these people need. Um, what that helps me is it helps me inform my design. So I am designing what people actually want and what mm. they are interested in as opposed to what I want to design. Mm. Um, so that's like, I guess, the first process of first seeking inspiration, getting excited about the project and then doing a lot of research. And then I transition it into either sketches or making models, um, you know, physical models and just exploring different shapes and forms before you know the process keeps going into drawing and then eventually built hmm. so you mentioned um community oriented design what does that look like like what does that in consist of i guess so that's really when the community is the main focus mm -hmm. so that's talking about for example community oriented design will be let's say like creating community centers or creating even just creating like schools or creating public spaces or a park where um, as a whole, the community is able to use these spaces. Um, so that that whole idea is making the community kind of front and center and the most important aspect of the design. So again, doing that intense research on what the community actually needs, having these conversations with you know, the users of the space and then directly implementing their requests or their own visions into the design. Okay, that's cool. I just wanted to clarify. I was like, well, it kind of makes sense. Like, I, I assume it's less self-explanatory, but I'm, maybe I was missing something, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what about the, the homelessness, homelessness problem? Obviously, this is a, a big issue in the U.S. and the big cities, like you said. Some cities have it worse than others. It seems there's so much money that's being poured into it, uh, yet maybe not in the right ways, perhaps. So how could architecture and this community design can help improve the lives of, of these people? 
Well, a lot of people are actually doing a lot of good work um, and around, you know, just developing different housing prototypes for people experiencing um, homelessness. So, of course, the first thing um, I guess I would say a lot of architects and designers are thinking of tackling um, is the obvious, right? Finding homes or finding, um, you know, housing for the people experiencing homelessness. Um, so that that looks like looking at different um, housing types. So looking at not just the standard single family home or the standard renting an apartment, but coming up with more creative ways and affordable ways where people experiencing homelessness can actually get, um, you know, get access to housing. Um, so that could look like providing um, homeless shelters, that could look like creating pods in public spaces. There are many projects like that um, now. And that could honestly also look like just educating more architects, educating the designers on the people experiencing homelessness. Because again, um, there is this stigma that around, and of course, this is not for every single person, right, that might be experiencing homelessness, but there's this like stigma that, you know, like it's it's kind of like their fault that they're, you know, they're on the streets. But that's not always the case. Life happens, right? Life happens in so many different ways and anything could happen to anyone at any time. So it's just really understanding their situation, understanding what they're looking for. Because um, like back in 2020, I was doing, um, you know, just some research around different housing types because um, I was just curious to kind of see what kind of housing will people experiencing homelessness be actually interested in occupying. And with some of that research, I came across this article that was talking about how um, the the housing, the, the shelters, and this was when I used to live in Miami. So a lot of the um, homeless shelters were actually being evacuated, not evacuated, but a lot of people experiencing homelessness were actually moving back to the streets or under the bridges. Mm. And that's because it was the time of COVID. So a lot of them didn't necessarily want to be in an enclosed space because, of course, you know, that makes them prone to COVID. Mm. So they, now they're back on the streets. So it's about, OK, so what other kind of housing can we create that will alleviate their, their pressures, but also give them a safe um, environment? Mm. Um, and so you've mentioned that you 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 kind of want to also educate people about what architects do. And frankly speaking, addressing the homelessness problem wasn't even on my on my list of like what architects like that was not even a, a thing that I would think about. So what are some other misconceptions that people often get around architects or the world of you know you in, in your industry? The first one is you need math to study architecture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that is like the biggest and most popular one. Of course, you know, I, I think math, everybody kind of, everybody needs math, right? Um, but I personally, I'm not a math wheeze by any chance. Um, and it's not, I, I wouldn't say math is this, like you have to know math to become an architect. Um, but at the, aside from that, um, just, so architecture, a lot of times, you know, people immediately think of architecture, you might think of um, single family housing, right? So that's the standard housing that we all, we're all used to seeing, or we all grew up seeing. But architecture is a vast, it's such a huge profession. So even once we go back to school, going through our design profession, sometimes I like to say it's like architecture is like the master of all design. 
And that's because going back to school, our whole design profession, we don't just learn how to build buildings or construct buildings. We actually learn how to go through a whole design thinking process. So we learn how to understand what, you know, or try to understand what our users might need. Mm-hmm. We learn, we learn to use so many different programs. So just in school, we're learning how to present our drawings, how to, so it's like from presentation, whether that's like graphics presentations, um, you know, we kind of, we need to know how to use colors. We need to know how to present ourselves. So now we're talking about public speaking, right? Cause we need to know how to defend our projects in order to, for people to actually want to, you know, I guess give us money to build <laughs> the project. Um, and then of course we need to know how to develop a building come up with a concept, come up with something out of nothing. Um, so architecture, there's so many vast um, little, what is the word, like little sectors in architecture, because even coming out of school, um, a lot of my colleagues, not everybody went into the traditional architecture. So from all of the skills that we learned, some people became graphic designers, some people went into photography um, and so many other things, especially in the tech industry. And that's because the way our brains are programmed is for us to do a vast majority of tasks. And then if you're talking about like the traditional architecture, so to speak, or the traditional architects, now there's so many types of (laughs) traditional architects, right? We have the people designing schools, hospitals, offices, train stations. um, And, you know, I can just keep going. And all of these different sectors are there, you kind of have to be specialized. So of course they're like generalist architects where they know a bit about everything and they're really good at what they do. So they are able to kind of dabble in different areas, in different Mm -hmm. sectors. But then they're like specialized architects who, you know, might have decided to focus their whole career around offices or around like hospitals. Mm -hmm. And each one is really different, kind of like the knowledge you need to have for each sector is a bit different. So if I've been, you know, for example, if I've been studying hospitals my whole career, I, it, it would take, there'll be some sort of learning curve if I decide to switch my, you know, mindset over to designing for offices, for example. Hmm. That's very interesting. All, all new information to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's phenomenal how much it, I mean, I, I've known like a couple of architects, but I never dove deep into it. That's super interesting because I think it's also like, there's, that's, that's like the, my, my whole thing for this podcast is like, there's so much we don't like, we don't know what we don't know. And people who are looking either for career change or people that are young that are listening to this and wanting to pursue a particular career, they might not think like they might, for example, they might want to, you know, make an impact, but they don't realize that actually by creating these community oriented um, spaces and buildings that is making an impact, right? Because exactly. we, we always think like impact is like, oh, like socialpreneurship or I don't know, social, whatever, like we always think in this limited way, but from what you're saying, it's like, there's so many different ways. And again, like I would have never thought about architecture. I would never connected it to like, oh, solving a homelessness problem. Like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like now that you're speaking about it, right? (laughs) That's interesting. So when you were talking about earlier about your studies and you like, you decided to pursue your accelerated master to really try to hone in on what is it that you love most about architecture? So what is it that you love most? The people it's, it's, it's <laughs> I, the people, especially I, it's kind of ironic to say because I, I am designing buildings and, you know, building a building is more of an object. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I would say the people, one, it's interacting with people, is understanding people's needs, because I truly believe that with my skills in architecture, or at least that is where I'm focusing my practice on, is to use design and architecture to really um, help underserved communities, right? Provide solutions to underserved communities. Mm -hmm. So I'll say it's the people, it's creating meaningful and thoughtful spaces for people. Mm, I like that, that's nice. Um, and, and then you've created this whole podcast, Layers by Design. So tell me about what inspired that. What, you know, what do you talk about? Who are your guests? Who's your audience? Who's it for? Of course. Um, Layers of Design is a passion project. <laughs> um, and it started kind of like to give you a backstory, right? It mm -hmm. started in 2019. So we've been running for about four years with um, about 62 episodes now. Um, but back in 2017, 2018, um, a few years after graduation or a couple years after graduation, I realized that um, from being in different um, toxic jobs, so to speak, kind of like jobs that were not necessarily fulfilling what I was actually looking for or jobs where managers were not necessarily uplifting me in my career or personal growth, I found that my desire for architecture, believe it or not, was going down. And I kind of, that, that was the first time um, I had started really questioning myself. Like, do I really want to do this? Is this really for me? Am I even a good designer? What does this mean to me? Um, and at the time I was also an international student. So that comes with a whole different layer. Mm -hmm. um, and just looking for a job that I really enjoyed where I was truly valued um was became even that much harder even if I had um or at least I felt like I had really prepped for the job market right in terms of like all of the skills I had acquired in terms of all of the knowledge I had gained but I wasn't getting a job and the jobs I would get were really um I guess I don't know the word to use but <laughs> they, they weren't uplifting that's what I'm gonna go not with. exciting <laughs> oh exactly so um, after kind of just being in a like a slump of sort of depression and just um, self-doubt, I will talk to my husband a lot like, OK, listen, I I wish I, there was somebody I could speak to that will tell me, you know, architecture is hard, but it's going to be OK. Mm -hmm. um, or that would keep encouraging me like you've always had this passion. You've always had this dream. You're not even anywhere close to it. Just keep going. Um, and so what I would do is I would go online, I would do a lot of research, and there were very few stories at the time, there were very few stories of people actually sharing their real experience in architecture, or just their journey behind like, the building, the fancy building they designed. Mm -hmm. um, so I started talking to my husband, Gabriel, it'll be cool if people would share their stories, you know, like, I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could start a blog and just talk about how hard it's been, <laughs> you know, how disheartening it's been. And um, then I don't even know where I came across a podcast. I think at the time I had started studying for my license exams. So I was, I started thinking, oh, maybe a podcast, because I would listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. Um, and I talked about it for a good portion of 2018. <laughs> and I always like say that I think Gabriel got tired of me. And he's he's a huge gamer. So this mic you see here is actually his. Um, so at the end of 2018, he kind of just put me in our closet in our small apartment in Miami. And he's like, here's a mic. We're going to record your first episode today. 
<laughs> and I sat in there and after 10 tries, um, I recorded my first episode. So the first episode, you hear this like really closed up, really shy, nervous, <laughs> you know, um, girl in her early 20s, not really knowing what this is going to turn out to be like. Um, and I was I just said, OK, sure, I'm going to publish this. So I published my first episode, I believe, January 4th of 2019. Um, and after I listened to it, um, I was like, oh, OK, well, I also don't even have that much to say just yet. Um, and I think a part of that thinking was one, of course, I was still like there was still a lot of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and I really didn't believe I had anything to say, but I wanted to say something. Um, so I decided, what if I had a conversation with a friend? So I called one of my very good friends um, and I said, hey, come on the podcast. Let's just talk about our experience in architecture. So that episode was, of course, it's one of the earliest. So it was a bit shaky, but it was a really good episode. And that's when I realized, you know what? I think I really enjoy hearing about other people's experiences because one, it makes me feel like I'm not crazy. I'm not alone. This profession is hard. Um, and there are mean bosses out there. <laughs> And, um, and most of all, just learning something, taking something back from my guests and being inspired. So yeah. I gradually interviewed a few friends, then I moved on to a few professors. And now I'm just, honestly, I just go to conferences, I meet new, different architects and I decide to interview them. So the whole podcast is really about sharing thoughtful conversations between architects and about architects and really diving into their experience and what you know, it means to be an architect or a designer in the profession and just their struggles or their joys. And sometimes we talk about some of the projects that we do, but I'm interested in the personalities behind the building. Hmm. And what do you feel like it's the biggest struggle? Because I hear this a lot about architect, like it's a tough field to get into. It's a tough field to grow. And like what makes it so difficult, I guess? It's hard. <laughs> there, <laughs> there are so many different um, aspects to architecture. Um, and there are many long hours that mm. um, you kind of have to spend in one hone, just honing your skills. Mm. And of course, inspiration doesn't spark every single day. So right from the design process, you know, you're kind of thinking, okay, I, I feel like being inspired to create this. And then once you come up with an idea, we literally have to produce drawings and details of every single thing. So every wall, every light fixture, every air condition unit, every ceiling, an architect or a group of architects have sat down and kind of dissected that building piece by piece mm -hmm. to produce these drawings that they hand over to the general contractors. And then the general contractors you know, bring that to life. Hmm. But another thing that architects do, so we have to communicate with the owner, of course. So an owner co contracts with us, an owner contracts with the general contractor separately. And then the architect contracts with our structural, mechanical, electrical, and plumbing engineers. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so the key thing with the architect is that we are kind of in the middle of everything. So going through school, going through our licensing process, we're taught to know a little bit about everything. So mm -hmm. you kind of have to understand how the structure works. You have to understand how air conditioner, air conditioning works, understand how the lighting works, mm -hmm. um, and even down to the finishes, right? What kind of like finish, whether it's concrete, whether it's brick or wood, what will be best for what climate or what situation or what building type. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're right there in the middle. The owner speaks to us. We design the building. We create all these drawings. Then we have to compile, compile all of the engineers drawings together to make sure everything makes sense to make sure there's not like a light fixture on top like an ac vent um Mm -hmm. believe me that happens (laughs) in the drawings um so we have to coordinate all of those drawings across the board and then once the project is handed over to the general contractor we have to perform routine site visits to make sure that the contractor actually builds and sticks to the drawings Mm -hmm. so it is a hard profession because one you have to kind of know about a little bit about everything aside from the major part, right? And just creating our own drawings. And then you have to also see the project all the way to the end. Hmm. So that sounds very complicated. I don't think I'll be able to look at a building the same anymore. (laughs) Now, like I'm like sitting, sitting in my condo. I'm like, I want to, I'm starting to think of where everything's placed now. Um, So what advice would you give a younger self uh, entering into this field? Let's say entering into college or somebody who's listening, who's like, Maybe I'm going to study architecture. What advice? Give me like top two. I'm sure there's many, but top two advice yeah. you would tell somebody. Um, one, I would say keep practicing, keep going. Um, don't get discouraged, right? Um, and I get, so that that's the first one. Okay, just keep practicing, keep going. Don't get dis- discouraged. And the second one is don't let your voice be minimized because you have a lot to say. Um, and you're, you're going to see your dream come to reality. So just keep at it and do not let anybody shrink your voice. Mm. Um, are there a, um, I, I, I mean, I just, I imagine from what it sounds like, because again, it's in that, you know, you deal with a lot of contracts and construction, and I know there's not a lot of women in construction. Is it very similar in the architecture world? Is there less, like, is it male dominated field typically? So yes. Um, well, I, now I, I would almost say that we're almost at the cusp of being even. <laughs> and I use that, you know, I use that very loosely. Um, it is generally a male dominated field. Mm. Um, very interesting stats have been coming out recently where uh, like about and I'm forgetting like the exact numbers, but pretty much there are actually more women now in architecture school. Mm. right studying trying to study architecture trying to become architects but then once we get into the main practice that number falls off and mm. then there are more men and of course that happens for a number of reasons um and you know one of the biggest one is women go on and we have kids right mm. um so that of course sets our careers back just a bit unfortunately it shouldn't be that way <laughs> but it still happens um and just it's still, I think it's still taking um, men getting used to that, okay, women are in this room, right? Women are having these same conversations. They're doing the same things that we can do. Um, so I think it's, it is definitely getting better because there are a lot of things and a lot of, um, there are a lot of things in play. There are a lot of really good conversations happening. So I'm also on the board of directors for two um, architectural organizations. One is the American Institute of Architects, and the other one is National Organization of Minority Architects, both chapters in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And for example, our the, the CEO of the AIA National is a woman, Lakeisha mm-hmm. Woods, and the um, president of the national chapter is also a woman so it's very interesting to see this shift happening right where 
um, women are becoming uh, be, um, being placed in leadership positions, right? Women are having a say in in um, you know, it's saying what the professional in the direction that the profession is going. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> Interesting indeed. Um, so before I ask you my last question, where do can people reach you? Where they can find you? Where do you hang out at on social media? So you can find me on LinkedIn first with my name, Ebehi Jewelry. You can find me on Instagram with at Hiking Architect because um, I love to hike. <laughs> so I'm combining both. <laughs> um, and definitely my business page, Layers of Design Creative Studio on instagram as well and linkedin and i'll make sure to include all that in the show notes for those that are listening um and the last question i always ask my guests is what is one question you wish people asked themselves more often i thought about this for a second (laughs) and um i would say and this is also a practice that i am also you know this is also something i'm trying to practice and also ask myself more but i would say is that question will be, do I really have the capacity, the capacity to engage or do I feel pressured to? So Mm -hmm. that could mean like, you know, maybe it's just a text message that we received from a friend. Or if a friend calls us saying, Hey, you know, I need some help. I need some advice. Um, or even just on social media. Right. So I feel like we don't ask ourselves enough and we don't take a step back and just think, well, am I really in the right mental space to engage in this conversation, to be there for this person, Mm. to respond to this text message right now, or just to be on social media and just have all of that information thrown at us? Mm. That's a good good one. Yeah, because I think we're just so used to just responding and engaging and reacting. But are we doing it when we're at our best, whatever? Exactly. Whoever it is, whatever the situation is that requires a certain level of awareness and calmness and level-headedness and all those good things for sure um that's a great one good stuff well Ibehi, i've learned more about architecture in the last 30 plus minutes than i ever have in my uh, life so far so thank you so much i i think um for those that are that are listening probably also going i'm never gonna look at a building the same again so but it was really really insightful and informative thanks for making the time of course thank you so much for having me Thank you.